And welcome to the Development Dilemma podcast, a place for the conversations we've been avoiding between expats and locals in the development space. We hear from both sides of the table to tackle development dilemmas and chart how we can do it better. Join me as we start the conversation. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Development Dilemma podcast. In this first episode with my guest Lorraine, I decided to take a very open approach to the conversation, and so I expect in future episodes to dig deeper on some of the topics we touch upon. In this first conversation, Lorraine and I touch upon firstly where our conversations began and why they were the origins of this podcast. Secondly, we touch upon the context behind why and what we are sharing in our conversation. And thirdly, in the main part of this podcast, a discussion of her experiences in this space as a Kenyan and how she has navigated but also struggled through it, centering on two questions. What do expats get wrong about Kenyans? And the flip side, what do Kenyans get wrong about expats? We speak specifically in terms of Kenya, but I hope and believe that what we touch upon has broader applications to the international development space, wherever you may be. I really hope you enjoy this first episode. It's a real honor to start the Development Dilemma podcast with you. It's something which has originated from our discussions going back two years now, and Mm. really great to put things on paper and and find a way to share that. First of all, it'd be great to introduce you to the podcast. People have heard who I am, but Lorraine? Yeah, so I'm Lorraine, 31 years old. I'm a wife and a mom, and a daughter, and a sister, (laughs) and a friend. I work in the impact investing space. Is there anything else? Oh yes, I'm Kenyan. Very Kenyan. So I think as we, we come to the same table, quite literally, it's also important that we now touch a little bit upon why this conversation is important and also the context of the conversation we're having. On my end, you know, I come to this obviously as an expat, as someone who has lived in Kenya for three years, who works in an international organization. Actually, the job I got here was based on having met another expat in Kenya. So that's a backdrop with also the hope and the belief that from what I've learned and we've shared together, there have been, well, obviously a close friendship that we have, but also a, a ways in which we can better collaborate, work together, and I hope this can continue. And yeah, I'm coming from it as a Kenyan. I have worked in a Kenyan company, mostly Kenyans. Yeah, we had a few expats, but the leadership of the company was Kenyan, so I didn't quite have the experience I'm having right now in the development space. I've been in this space for four years. I guess my experience in this space is what feeds into the conversation, and that's where I'm drawing my insight. I'm obviously also... I speak a lot to Kenyans who work in the same space, in DFIs and international development organizations and... Yeah, I get the sense we're having a very similar experience. I hope I am able to to relay the experiences as well as mine as clearly as possible. But I also don't want for the conversation to come off we're asking the expert to give us equality. It's actually more from a development perspective that there are reasons the space is not as effective as it should be. And this is one of them. We're not talking as much as we should. We're not as collaborative as we should be. And I'm hoping that this conversation can dent that problem just a little bit and 
and open people's minds to having this conversation more openly. So Kenyans being able to express themselves at work and say when they see that people are being condescending or disrespectful. And I'm hoping that experts might be able to know how to broach the conversation and ask questions and have a, a humble curiosity. I really hope not to come across as representing our Kenyans. This is my experience. And the reason I say that is I know there are Kenyans and experts who've given up on the conversation. There are experts who have no interest in knowing Kenyans. Those are not the people we're speaking to. And I know there are Kenyans who have given up and they'll never be appreciated fully for who they are. They will never be seen as equal. The racism or the bias will continue. I know there are Kenyans who think that. And I mean, for those Kenyans, I I hope that maybe there's two seconds as they listen to this conversation and they say maybe there's hope. Yeah, I think it's important to mention that it's a hopeful conversation. And coming to then the first question we can touch upon, and, and this is a big question, but what do you think the next paths get wrong about Kenyans? A lot. <laughs> I think the foundation of it all is a lack of appreciation for Kenyans. Then everything else trickles down from there. In what form is that? I think mainly it's cultural appreciation. I would say I wish experts would come into Kenya as if they were walking into someone's home. And when you walk into someone's home, you don't walk in saying, thinking how many things are wrong with the home. You're first of all just happy to have been invited. You kind of walk in with an open mind. I wish more experts would would come into the country like that. And the reason I say that is I think if you have that backdrop or that understanding, then you're you're able to see differences just as differences rather than using them to speak to capability or who someone is. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's definitely a tendency when we come we benchmark. Yeah. So it's traffic isn't like it is in Europe rules of law, whatever it is, we yeah. tend to benchmark. Yeah. And it's constantly this comparison, but almost always in negative light. Yeah, that was also my experience when I joined my organization. It was, if someone is late, it's because they're African or it's because they're Kenyan. If there's traffic, the matatus, it was all, let me just put it bluntly, we're supposed to be like you. There's no appreciation that maybe you're a man-made forest, maybe we're the Amazon. Yeah, maybe we're just different. That appreciation is not there at all, even in things that don't have any consequence. So... Well, we could take timing as, as an example, right? I think, personally, yeah. as an expat, I have observed a difference in the approach to timeliness. Yeah, when I first joined my organization, I remember a lot, like, we would have people delivering stuff to the office, and it was like, oh, this person said they were coming at 11.30 and they're here at 2. And there'd be so much anger to it. And I think after hearing a lot of those complaints, first of all, I have to mention, my colleagues were also late many times. We would start either, either meetings. Expats. Yeah, we would start meetings and it'd be like, please give me five minutes, please give me ten minutes. And I never made a big deal out of it because I would sound Kenyan, I understand it. But when someone else needed that sort of space as well, it was never taken with a, you know, lightness it deserved. It was always, oh, this is an African, this is a Kenyan thing. Time is not taken seriously. 
But I think that if if you came into the country wanting to with an open mind wanting to appreciate what's happening, you're more likely to get to the conclusion that yeah, if I didn't if there was no fixed time, fixed schedule, fixed route in terms of transport and I couldn't predict when I would get to a place. So in Europe you can tell yourself I'll be there at ten fifteen and you will be there at ten fifteen. Yeah, timetable. Here I mean, you'll be there between 10 and 10.30, somewhere. <laughs> and if the meeting is at 11, you're likely trying to get there at 10.45. So you don't have this whole mindset of time. Time is not time is fluid because it has to be. You're not in control of many other things. And then many of things being... The Matatu. The, yeah, the public buses. The, yeah, so public transport. Um, yeah, mainly actually it's public transport. <laughs> And the traffic, you're, you're not in control of a lot of these things. And you just, you grow up in that context. And if someone says they're coming for lunch to your house, you, what they mean is I'm coming between midday and two. Somewhere there, I'll you go to your house. You don't even ask. It's not, it's not taken as an insult, as a disrespecting your time and all that. Don't be so sure that your way is the only way. I think you're right. I think we there's no notion that we have to adjust. Yeah. And and yet when you have that cultural appreciation, I remember you were mentioning kind of going into someone's home, and I remember it was it was a sad affair. A colleague of mine in a previous organization, his mother had passed away, and I being in this organization, I'd arrived from the UK all of a month ago, been there for for a few weeks, and we had this email, and it was written that you know his mother had died. There would be uh, a everyone would be invited to his home, and actually there would also be a kitty, a pool of money that's provided for the funds for the burial, etc. And I was mortified to find this in an email that this would be shared amongst yes. all staff. Yeah. <laughs> I just could not believe that I was this <laughs> public, because in the UK you would, it's a very private affair. Yeah. You don't tell anyone. You maybe tell your colleague, but everyone will notice your quietness, and they will. The last thing they would do is ever ask yeah. you. About it. So I remember being really daunted. I had to ask with a few friends of mine, Kenyan friends, like, am I actually, it's okay to go, etc. Yeah. And they're like, absolutely, and actually it'd be respectful. And I personally, I found that very hard to understand because it would yeah. be almost disrespectful. Yeah. And then I went and we went into his home. Him and his wife have put together an amazing buffet. And I felt like this is someone whose mother's died and we're getting to yeah. dine on him. This, <laughs> this is so wrong, but it was so beautiful. It was so nice. He opened up his home to us. We came there to pay our respects, and at the end, it was just such a celebration. It was such a different approach yeah. to burials and to that mourning process that I thought was amazing, but nonetheless, was very different. It reminds me of a colleague of ours lost someone, and we were talking about him dealing with it and how painful it was, and <laughs> my colleague says, I think you guys, meaning Kenyans, you just don't take death that hard. You seem to move on so quickly. You know, I've heard something. It was a friend of mine, a close friend of mine in the UK, and someone who's generally very thoughtful, but I was talking about COVID, right? And a lot of people have been like, why haven't, you know, generally the continent hasn't reacted in the same way. Actually, they've been much better in many ways. But nonetheless, he was just saying, yeah, the value of life is less there. And I know what he meant to say. I know what he, what he was thinking was that, yeah, death is maybe a bit more common, etc. But yeah, when he said that, I know what he meant, that so many people die. 
you kind of get used to it. Your I'm mom is your mom. It doesn't matter how many moms have died. When your mom dies, you feel pain. And I think that's the crux of it. Like, I thought about it, like, how do you need to see someone to think they are so used to pain that they don't feel it? Just being seen as less human. To be honest, that's what it comes down to. That's why I was struggling with the term cultural appreciation. It's more like human appreciation. And it, it also reminds me of the Harambe thing where... Harambe being... Harambe is... <laughs> honestly, I don't even know the meaning of the word, but <laughs> it's more like coming together. It's it's both community coming together, but also fundraising. It's just... It's, uh, it's a fluid word. <laughs> it's used in many ways, but that's basically it. Uh, and we were talking, maybe even around the same period... And their uncle had passed away and they were, you know, fundraising for the funeral and the hospital bill. And he went like, why don't people just pay insurance? This was an expat. Yeah. And it was almost in a disgusting way. Like, you people are so irresponsible with your financial decisions. And I just had to school him a bit. First of all, that is, for many people, their insurance. Yeah. Community insurance. Yeah, it's community insurance. First of all, insurance companies will not insure those people. First time there. For many people, they can't meet the premiums. There's no way they can start thinking, let me pay for tomorrow's problems when today's problems are here. So that's a way of insuring yourself. If you help others, they'll help you. And for you to come into a country and just see this whole, this it's a huge part of our culture. And for you to come to a country and see that and go like, why the hell would you do this? It's so arrogant. Yeah, I think unfortunately... <laughs> you must really think your way is the only way. And I think that, as you say, it's shown in examples that, that we've talked about where it is, is where you look at someone's behavior and you go, huh, that looks different. It looks strange. It's not how I would approach it, right? At that point, do you assume they are stupid, ignorant, whatever? Or do you give them the benefit of the doubt and assume you're the one that's stupid and ignorant? I'll give you a good example. When I went to Amsterdam, and I don't use the Netherlands a lot, but when I went to Amsterdam and saw that the shops close at six, there were two things. Do I think they're lazy or do I think they value their family? I thought they value their family. If I thought like an expat, I would think they're lazy. I'll tell you what I thought when I went there. <laughs> I moved there. And I thought, they're shut on Sunday. And I thought, there's any place I'm ever going to starve, it's going to be here. <laughs> because if you have not gotten off your work and gone into the shops before six, I didn't understand it. So, yeah, yeah I think that's a powerful example. Yeah. <laughs> So it starts out when you work in this um, multinational organizations. It starts out as you're a different Kenyan. We hired you. You know you're not like those ones. But please explain to us why those ones are so weird. <laughs> and a few months in, of course, you make mistakes. And your mistakes are not seen as mistakes. They're seen as you're also just like them. And you don't know whether that's a compliment or an insult. <laughs> but over time. It's the small things that I remember one thing that used to happen a lot is I speak like a Kenyan very happily. I have no interest in getting a, an accent from a country I've never lived in. And I remember they would say, 
why do Kenyans always say this? And I'm like, you're Dutch. You can barely say V and F in the correct <laughs> way. <laughs> so it's just that constant explain yourself. Tell us why you're like this. Tell us why you're doing this. Tell us. It's, it gets into your mind. And, and then for them, it also gets into your work. Why do you write like this? Why do you do this? Why do you, why are you like this? It's a nagging of sorts. It's a nagging. And at the end of the day, it it does make you question your competence. And then also that's that's another cultural difference. Intelligence doesn't look the same in different cultures. I saw it, but I didn't know how to put words to it. It just recently came to me that intelligence doesn't look the same, for instance, when you're European versus Kenyan. I don't say African because... Even in Nigeria, it's different from Kenya. South Africa is different from... Even even within Europe. Yeah, so... But specifically, in the organization I worked in, I started to see that an intelligent person speaks all the time. Even when they don't really have any facts, you just keep giving your opinion. You keep... You express yourself, basically, all the time. You tend to disagree, even when you don't have facts. <laughs> To disagree sure. so there's space to just say oh i had never heard of that i don't know it's not really there and in kenya that's not really considered intelligence and we actually tend to think of people who are too quick to express their opinion as bullshitters and you'll hear that a lot in the workplace where He's, it's just that kind of person. It's just that kind of guy. And a lot of these people tend to actually have been educated in Europe. <laughs> they've, they've learned the European. They've learned yeah. it and then they bring it back and this is who they are. And they walk around with an air of superiority that they inherited or co-opted, I don't know. And yeah, you just kind of feel like you're being forced into this space that is not who you are. It's not what you... It's not the way you are. You you are kind of taught to form opinions after you have some fact. And I think it's because we we know we don't have control of a lot of the situations in our lives politically and there are a lot of things you don't have control over. And maybe that's that's where the self-fulfilling prophecy comes in. Where you're you're criticized so much about things that are inconsequential. And maybe they're consequential to you, but for us, it doesn't feel like in the grand scheme of things it matters. And then overall, you just start to agree to keep the peace, to keep your your peace of mind. You change the synonym, you remove due to, you say because, or because you put due to, or you, you do it, and you do it enough, and you have this dance, you do, you you write like this in the office, and you write like this at home, and you speak like this in the office, and you speak like this at home, and over time you get really tired, and you just keep doing what you're being told, and at the end of the day, that's not the way why the company hired you, you are hired to bring in your own point of view, and, and you you're cornered into this place where your point of view doesn't matter. It's quoted in a lot of other things where by the time you're finished changing all the synonyms, you really don't have a, an opinion about the investment itself. Um, and I think then it feeds into this whole idea that experts have that Kenyans aren't as competent as they are, as they, the experts are. Because it's molded 
in yeah. the end, of yeah. course, someone else having to match your style is going to make your style worse than exactly. you. Exactly. And it's, you'll start to say, ah, I just have to keep giving them guidance. No, you have to keep making me into you. And that is a tiring exercise. <laughs> so. And, and so what does this do? I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I look at this almost, and as we talk about it, it seems to be almost... It becomes a system whereby potentially Kenyans disengage. You don't share your opinion because you recognize, and I've heard this from friends of mine, that they recognize actually, as you say, they can present it, but they're just going to be faced with this barrage of criticism that in the end, it makes their life easier if they just match to the style that's wanted. And yet at the same time, then they'll be seen as not having their own authentic opinions, etc. What do you think this creates in how we as expats and Kenyans engage. So that's where I mentioned at the beginning, it's like you just end up, you disengage from the mission, which I think is where this conversation is very important. So even when your company is making a mistake and you know something would go down well, I'll give you an example. We have many surveys. A lot of our investees get tired of filling out those surveys and actually wonder what's the point of all this. But I'd, I'd never speak up about that. I'd never say, oh, this is, let's not do this again. And if we wanted feedback, how would you do that? Maybe a call. We, actually in my previous company, there was a rule, don't write an email where a call could do. In this space, it feels like, yeah, write all the emails you can. Actually we love emails. Uh. Copy 20 million people while you're at it. So it's just, um, I think it, 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 it breaks you down. Honestly, that's just, that's the best way I can put it. It breaks you down. You lose your mission. People like me who, honestly, I came into this space really concerned about fighting I mean, reducing poverty, and I just thought if small businesses could have working capital, I'm sure we could find a way to reduce unemployment and poverty. And I still believe in that, but my day-to-day job involves changing full stops and semicolons into colons, and sometimes I'm actually even right about the use of it. And I just, you disengage and... You don't bring your whole self. You don't bring your whole self and... In, at the end of the day, we all steer away, slowly but surely steer away from the mission and it just becomes a job, yeah. which I think is a big part of the problem in the development space. Yeah, and I think what's sad about it is that what it means on the expat side is that feel like and have this impression that the Kenyans are not really engaged or not trying very hard or not pull it, you know, putting in their full work. And I think... That gap widens and it creates these stereotypes around yeah. how expats will see Kenyans and similarly as you said, how Kenyans might see expats. Yeah. At the end of the day, it just doesn't lead to conducive, collaborative impact. And I think that's, yeah, that that is really, really sad because at the end of the day, outside our privileged bubbles, there are very many people who would benefit if this space was impactful. That's that's mm. the really sad part. Look, I'm not I'm not trying for this conversation to put people into defensive spaces and I'm also not trying for trying to make it sound like Kenyans are 
pitifully asking for for help or to be seen or to be appreciated i'm saying at the end of the day we are all losing because we are not doing what we are meant to do yeah if anything i hope this conversation just brings us back to that that unless you see the people as just like you if you can come into the space knowing if i grew up like that person and i was brought up within the same culture and these are the things that made my mind i would probably be exactly like them and remove this whole idea of the way you are is inherently right making the way someone else is inherently wrong and just come in as a different person and try and appreciate it for what it is you know and i think there's a potential for these conversations to be vague in terms of what are we suggesting you know how do you how does one how does an hr manager how does an expat running an organization but also a kenyan take this into their day-to-day life and i think if you would as you say walk into this place this country and see it as someone else's home that you immediately want to appreciate and recognize you would change the way you would work you would look at you know we were touching on the notion of harambe and how would you embed that within an organization yeah. and i've heard of organizations ngos international ngos where they didn't have and they found it very strange the top management being white here or expats found it very strange to have this notion of pot like money being yeah. given from a company and most Kenyan companies have a kitty in my former company we had a wedding kitty a baby kitty a funeral kitty divorce and kitty no <laughs> we don't accept divorce <laughs> um yeah, i'm joking and it was it was not from the employees the company as a company gave and then there would be a circular where employees would also give and we were we would be so proud in the wedding when they say this is what the company has given and yeah it can be a policy i don't see why not there are so many policies that support expats what well, we do today huh? we have we have yeah. it's, it's horrible even the name is hardship allowance but family support if you come here as an expat your family you know will be paid yeah. for by the company by the organization it's yeah. their responsibility and i think yeah, as you say it's actually very concrete how similarly if that's how contextually it is done here one could see it as a company responsibility yeah. to provide that and that's actually the term hardship allowance how hard is your life here really and i just i hate the notion that my home is just commonly accepted that it's a difficult horrible hellish place to be that someone needs to be paid to be here extra not for your work you need to be paid extra to be here and namely namely and you won't be paid yeah extra you yeah. as a kenyan no 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 it's such hard yeah songs. your hardship i mean if it was hard i should be paid more when here all my life <laughs> <laughs> but it's, and and it's for jobs that i'm not sure only an expert could do that's, that's a whole, a whole other conversation but, but it's that idea that you're coming here thinking you're fixing and helping and you're coming into someone's home someone who yeah everyone's home has its issues we really need to question and unpack how hard it is yeah and i think as you say i find that very 
beautiful and powerful. You are coming into someone else's home. Yeah. But fixing things, how do we fix it? Policy, we've, we've spoken about. I don't want to say training. <laughs> I really hesitate to say training. I went to a training recently and it was about diversity. And the first question they asked is, why is diversity important? And like, you're asking a black woman why diversity is important. <laughs> the irony in that is just, <laughs> I don't know, it's laughable. But so I don't want to say training, but I, I hope it's policy and conversations like this. I think when you have even these arguments and conversations, over time it changes the way people see you. And maybe this conversation can embolden Kenyans a bit when the silly corrections to your work you can maybe it's the time to go to the dictionary and show them actually i'm correct and if you do that enough times maybe they stop and i'll give an interesting example so one time when we were in the head office um i was holding a plate of food and this was in the netherlands in the netherlands and um, i was holding a plate of food and something from my plate fell and someone made a joke and said Oh, but you should just eat, like, you should just take it, insinuating that we eat from the, we eat from the floor in Africa. And I was deeply offended by that. Didn't even bother to <laughs> fake laugh or I actually just told her off. And I'm sure she's never going to say it because I, I don't think she said it while thinking. I'm sure she's never going to say it again to anyone else. Yeah, I guess it's just, I hope the conversations, if we are bold enough to put people in their place and say what we think and when yeah of course there are times we're wrong when we're wrong admit we're wrong maybe the conversation gets to a more equal footing and we can start to work together as a team to fight poverty or disease or whatever it is you're in the development space for So I guess the flip side of it is, and I'm sure there are quite a number of things. I'm curious, what do Kenyans get wrong about expats? I think it's tricky because for one, we're not one group yeah. and, and there are many different people, much mm-hmm. like the, the end not all Nzungus. I think that with what you've spoken about, and what we've seen and what we've exchanged, that there is a system that we have, which does mean that Kenyans are treated unfairly. Kenyans are treated one way and expats another. And I find this is very quickly and often attributed to malice. What I think is, again, and this is on the general, but from many of the expats I know, we do genuinely come with good intentions. We do genuinely think that we're doing no harm. And how to understand that alongside a system which does create these consequences, I think, is that it comes much more from ignorance. And I'm not trying to excuse the behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a friend of mine was putting it that it is almost willful ignorance, mm. but it's not malice. And I think that that is something that I feel Kenyans might be quick to look at expats and look at these behaviors and attribute them to malice. I think that's fair because when I speak to my yeah Kenyan counterparts who 
work in organizations with many experts, I get the feeling that, yeah, they think it's out of malice. They think even if they were to see it, it's not worth changing. So there's that feeling of hopelessness and this is just the way they are. And you're right, we do see it as a monolith and I guess a homogeneous group. It's also partly because the majority behave a certain way. It actually sounds like I'm defending our position and I'm not. I'm saying I think Kenyans should be open to the fact that they might be wrong about someone just because it might just be ignorance. I'm not sure willful. For some people it's not even willful ignorance. It's just ignorance, ignorance. And maybe if you explained your point a bit clearer and I mean it's not your role to explain yourself but as a Kenyan. As a Kenyan, but kind of approach the space with a healthy curiosity about the other human being. That maybe, in as much as they look and sound and sometimes say the wrong things, maybe there's a part of them that can be corrected. And just have a humble curiosity that you might not know exactly who they are. And I guess this is on both sides. Stereotypes play into a part of the human brain that we can't really avoid. Our brain likes to make shortcuts. It, it likes to... It wants to be able to make a conclusion without all the facts and it's an evolutionary. And I think just going against the grain and, and saying, I actually don't know how this person is until they show me and they show you and they show you and they show you. And then you say, okay, maybe this is who they are for real. But before then, just be open to explaining yourself and 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 explaining your point of view as clearly as possible where you can both question maybe I'm wrong. At the same time, in terms of how we can move forward and work together, the roll of the dice is unfair. And as you said, it's a position where one is a giver and receiver of equality. Yeah. And that shouldn't that be how it is? So that's the tricky part, the system versus the individual. And I think when it comes to the system, for sure, approach it with as much, is this too strong a word, strength and brutality. <laughs> like trying to break it down as much as possible. There, don't hold any punches. When you're speaking about HR, when you're in a diversity and inclusivity webinar, yes, systems are made of people, but if you approach individuals like that, first of all, chances are you're wrong. People aren't as simple as they appear to be. Very few times have I met someone who's, you know, black and white. So first of all, you deny yourself the experience of that person's mind when you close it off. But on top of that, for your own benefit, I think for you to have allies in breaking the systemic biases and and unfairness, I think you do need to to start with individuals and the only way to communicate with individuals is to see them first. Yeah, I think that's really beautifully said. And it's a way to understand that with a system which is biased, which is racist and unfair, and in that and in these conversations, hopefully tease those apart. And, and yeah. both of us work on that. And I think it brings me back to the conversation about the apartheid museum in South Africa. 
And I remember after we had this really difficult conversation, I don't know whether it was that day or the next day, you then told me about your mom who loves interior design and that for me is also a passion. And I think it kind of broke me down. Um, not that I was particularly, like I wasn't holding on to the anger. Maybe I'm sounding very Obama when Obama-like when I say the things that are common amongst us are much bigger than the things that divide us. And we can have the conversations about the things we disagree about. But if that's all you're having a conversation about and you've not acknowledged this is someone who has a mom and a dad and, and a sister and this is, these are the things they like and this is who they are, I am going to leave here and say I doubt you'll go very far with this con- with the conversation anyway. And if you actually think about it, that's exactly what I'm saying on the expert side. Like, just see us as humans. And I'm kind of asking the same, kind of, I'm with you, <laughs> asking for the same of Kenyans and trying to make it less painful by reminding them that it, it is a system versus an individual, you know, as much as a system is made up of individuals. Maybe we can start to break it through conversations and conversations are, are especially very dicey, painful conversations are very hard to have if you don't see the human in the other person. We've touched upon in our conversation the things both of our sides can do. And I think there's more to be done personally on my side than there is yours. Mm-hmm. But both of us have to make a step in that direction and we have to make a leap. You have to make a, yeah. a small step. But it's for expats, it's the thing that I take away from this conversation is that approach of what is the... You're stepping into someone else's home and seeing it as a cultural appreciation and a place of assuming, assuming on the other person's side, a beauty, a thought, an intelligence, a competence, and then working from there. Mm. And that is your base assumption. And listening, most of all, to learn and to adapt to the fact that you're not in your own home, you're yeah. in someone else's. So it's something that I definitely carry away from the many conversations we've had since. Yeah, and I think for me, it's it's something I've, I've always believed in, but um, it's becoming stronger and stronger. And I, I told you about this, I've gone on this really painful exercise of listening to people I disagree with. I think it's just in the same vein of being vulnerable, trying to see, I guess, the point, someone else's point of view, even when you think it disagrees or is opposite of what you believe in, to get into a space with an open mind. I'm not saying get into spaces where you're, you know, openly being attacked, but in spaces where you can get in, get into it with an open mind, judge less, try to see people for who they are. I have experienced a lot of beauty, even as I'm criticizing, you know, the space and maybe some of the things that I've, I've experienced, even as I'm speaking about the negative, I've experienced a lot of beauty. And even with the Harambe thing, it was strange for them, but they, my colleagues contributed to my wedding. It was much smaller than what I would have gotten <laughs> in a Kenyan company. But, but it was also not from the company. This was from their pocket, and I really, really appreciated it. And I just hope maybe, well, Kenyans would be more vulnerable and open to learn and open to make friendship, real friends, and in those spaces be able to express yourself about the bias we experience and 
And well, the racism, I guess that's where the conversation starts with vulnerability. And that's where today at least (laughs) as well. I hope you enjoyed this first episode with Lorraine, where we dug into some of the experiences and issues she has faced in this space of international development from her perspective as a Kenyan. In the next episode coming up shortly, Sarah, an expat, shares her perspective on the issues she saw as an expat working in the international development space, but also why she chose in the end to leave Kenya, feeling that it was no longer her place to have an impact. Thank you for listening to the inaugural episode of The Development Dilemma. This project is in its early stages, and to help it grow, you can play a crucial role. So I kindly ask if you enjoyed this, or even if you didn't, please leave a quick review on iTunes. It helps more than you know, and also share this with two friends who might agree or disagree with what we discussed. The idea is really to start a conversation, and this is just the beginning. If you have any thoughts on topics to tackle, people to speak to, or conversations to be had, please feel free to reach out. You can reach me on Twitter at dev underscore dilemma or Instagram, the development dilemma. And lastly, and most importantly, make sure to subscribe and continue this conversation. We're in